listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Okay, welcome to episode number 64 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Charlie Morgan. Charlie is a rugby reporter at Telegraph Media Group Limited in the UK and has been in that role for almost two years now. Before that, he was a freelance writer and was also the assistant editor for the RFU for four years. His rugby analysis on Twitter is first class and offers a huge amount for coaches out there. So it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Charlie. Just for having me, Andy. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. So, yeah, for, for, for listeners who haven't been to your Twitter handle, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. They definitely should go there because, uh, like I said, there's some great analysis there. Um, what, how, did, how, did you, how did you develop that passion? What did, you, what did your rugby journey look like uh, and when did you really fall in love with the game? I, I mean, I, I started, I guess, how a lot of guys started. I started playing age of eight and then... Um, yeah, and then and then the journalism started. Started, I guess, after I did did an English degree yeah. uh, at university, and then um, and then it looked like uh, still playing, but obviously wasn't going to make it any further. Still loved absolutely loved the game, <laughs> like like and, the rest uh, of us mortals. That's uh, exactly yeah. And then sort of it looked like how could I keep writing about it? How could I keep rugby sort of in my life? I guess. And um, so yeah, it became it became writing about it. And I moved down to London. Grew up in um, grew up in Leicester. Okay. Went to university. Actually played cricket in in at university up in Durham. But then moved down back to London and took up playing again um, with Wimbledon, which was which was really really cool. And then and then the sort of work side of things uh, progressed from there. Worked for a little sports website, and then yeah, I'm an assistant editor rather than the assistant editor at, at the RFU. So that, that was kind of a big raps there in the intro. Okay, but right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that import, important distinction to make. But then, yeah, yeah that's so then started started working as a freelancer at, at the Telegraph and then have moved there in a, in a sort of full-time capacity as of April. Okay, cool. And so with the with the role at the RFU, what did, what did that kind of look like? Was that uh, a lot of the uh, digital media and Exactly that. Exactly that. So we'd kind of, I guess we'd kind of look. But we were all kind of as a group of maybe um, four or five of us, and we'd look upon ourselves, I guess, as qualified qualified journalists working for uh, the RFU's website as an official outlet. So um, we'd go along to the press conferences at Penny Hill and things like that, and try and and a lot of it was kind of trying to put across the messages at the, at the time that the RFU's comms department, which was a separate department, um, what those guys wanted to across but at the same time we wanted to kind of make sure that it was um it, as impartial as it as it could be um and you know just face value match reports face value features about you know the cool the cool stuff that the teams were doing really awesome okay well it's um it's been an enthralling uh period of rugby uh with the end of year two of some some great great uh matchups some great results before getting into individual teams what what, what have your general takeaways been regarding the state of the game uh, from from this uh this you know three to four weeks of of games I, th- I think it's been it's been fascinating just because it's it's really brought brought the rugby world cup 2019 into focus and that sounds obvious because it's obviously only 11 or 10 months away or whatever it is now but mm. it's 
it's been the it's been a real kind of uh as the cycle as a whole, the last three years have now come down to this 11 months. So we're seeing, I think in these games, we've seen coaches sort of selection calls and tactical calls. I think in some ways, maybe the tactical side has been teams keeping a little bit close to their chest, but in others, it's been about looking at contingencies and what can go, what might go right and what might go wrong at the tournament itself. So for instance, I'm thinking of, I think one of the big movers has been, has been Wales. They've been fantastic with first clean sweep, but with that, what they've done is, I think Warren Gatland has really shown his experience by developing the depth. But it's calls like starting Seb Davis, who's a, who's a lock, starting him at eight against Tonga, because that's the sort of thing that if you, if you can get away with that in, in a game in a tournament, that's, that frees you up so much for uh, player rotation and keeping keeping your gun, your gun side, your gun back row fresh. Likewise, uh, Eddie Jones trying out Jack Noel at 13 against sure. against. And that was kind of probably to the detriment of um, of England's fluidity in, in that game, and they needed kind of to bring on own foul to rescue things. But um, it, it's it's just little little calls like that, and I think it's 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 been really interesting to see the mega experienced coaches just go through these last little bits of fine tuning, mm. and you know, I mean, that's where the teams that are in good shape are sitting. The other the other sides are perhaps kind of. Um, you know, legs going, legs going furiously below the water, just trying to get results and trying, trying to get little bits of the game to click. But mm. so, it's just been really interesting to see sides at different stages of that four-year cycle, um, with so little time to kind of to come before the tournament. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's it's getting exciting, and I think uh, I think this this Six Nations coming up is going to be an absolute belter. Um, with with all all teams really in contention, Ireland obviously being favourite. But uh, look, looking at uh, England um, at, from from the period of time that you've been watching them in the end of, end of year games, um, what what have you noticed about their evolution in terms of uh, attack and defence? I've, I've noticed that they, it's been the first time that they have had to do without um, both the Napoleons, but then also Nathan Hughes. So. Yeah. One thing I keep coming back to with England is, is what Eddie Jones said when he took took on the job um, when um, Sri Lanka left and after kind of in the rubble of the 2015 World Cup. And he kind of hinted that what went wrong at the 2015 World Cup was that England's tactical identity fell away and they tried to cover too many bases. And I think that, that was a totally fair enough thing to say. And then the subsequent kind of period where England were winning everything was down to a settled side. He didn't change too much about the kind of... Um, the change too much about the personnel, but what was really rock solid was that tactical identity. I think England got caught up in the start of 2018, so the start of this year in the Six Nations. They got they got overrun, they got outthought, and then in South Africa they got outmuscled. So actually they had to change. I think they kind of had to take stock of a lot of areas of their game. And what this autumn's been really positive is they now know that. If they're kind of, I mean, that the back row that's worked really well is Shields. So Shields six, Underhill seven, Mark Wilson eight, and Mark Wilson sort of he played a little bit of eight at the Premiership. He he probably just, I mean, having spoken to him a little bit at Penny Hill with the kind of the other group of journalists, he'd really describe himself as a as a kind of um, a really resourceful guy who can fit in fit in across those back row slots. But that's certainly not what England were used to. But the fact that they can they now know that they can play like that with three mobile guys across the back row, mm. really really helpful. Um, and yeah, I, I just think 
they've had to be a little bit more a little bit more smart a little bit more kind of adaptable and that's knowing that they can do that with the with both Vunipolas to come back in is is really positive for them yeah yeah I agree and I think um there's I think they've been tempted to move away from what English rugby traditionally is and now they seem to have come back to that that there is that real physical presence up the middle of the field but they do also have the ability like you said with a mobile back row and some some you know great great uh, a, a back three that can really get going uh, they can really get expansive too when when required they they don't overplay that hand though I find yeah I, I, the, what's the, the kind of the two uh, we already already kind of spoken about the back row the other area that's kind of dogged um, the last probably last two maybe three kind of England management groups has been the midfield and what the right kind of blends that is and that, that underpins kind of any side's whole game I guess if, you, if you've got uncertainty in your back row and you've got uncertainty in your midfield you're really struggling England have been struggling with both and when one's gone right maybe they've kind of been patching up the other mm. the midfield they now have those options I think I think um, I think they've been so desperate that forward Farrell axis they un, undoubtedly for me look better when both of those guys are on the field because and, and I know um this kind of whole autumn has been framed by a few starts for, for Owen Farrell at 10, but mm. when he's that sort of one out and he's in that sort of quarterback, second receiver, I just feel like he's a lot better. And he can do that. He can do that at Saracens because he's got, he's got Alex Good, He's got Brad Barrett, whose distributions come on a lot. Um, with England, he didn't necessarily have that. Um, so I, th- I think, and, it, and it's kind of, uh, it is absolute folly to kind of, rely on the fitness of Manu Tulagi because he's had all of these yeah. all of these struggles. But those sort of last, whatever it was, eight minutes that, that it was for, uh, Ford Farrell Tulagi on the field against Australia, I've, I've just got a feeling that Eddie Jones will have been absolutely desperate to, to field that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now he's, now he's just seen a little glimpse of it. Um, I think it will kind of have whetted his appetite. The, yeah. the, the kind of the, there's a lot of talk um, sort of, in the lead up, both in the lead up to the game and then afterwards about how uh, sort of Tio and Tulagi together was what Jones really wanted to see with um, this this young fucking singer on the wing as well. Yeah. Uh, all out power. But I actually think he would have been more excited about having uh, Ford Farrell, Tulagi and then also the power of fucking a singer because I just feel like that covers more bases. It, it allows, as you, as you say there, it allows them to unlock the lights of... Um, Daly and and May and those wings and and May's been May's been a big part of that as well. His his over the last couple of years, his work with his wings been been absolutely awesome, and he's kind of um, really really come on in that regard, and that's that's elevated everything about England really. Yeah, yeah, the fucking the singer um, like selection that was that was fantastic, and that that had some real shades of that last break he made where he just um, you know middled uh, Dane Haylett Petty instead of <laughs> trying to score in the corner. It had some real. Uh, yeah elements of uh, Jonah Lomu in uh, against my cat kind of style where he busts through a number of players and I found it a, a, a quite a quite a similarity there with the style of play he, he what I, I kind of and it, and it happened against Japan as well and he will um, he's, he's a clever enough kind of dexterous skillful enough player to kind of right wrong he should, he should have put uh, Henry Sladen in the corner and, sure. at that play. Yeah. But, but his but his kind of for, for a kind of a young guy to to be that um, 
to be that comfortable and to be sort of he, he, that was that just exuded sheer enjoyment and yeah. sheer kind of yeah. little bit of brashness mm. is actually England haven't really had that that swagger and things come through and be able to he's been on a couple of tours so he was in he was out in Argentina didn't didn't play at all um, and then um, he's been in and around the camp a fair bit. And then he's kind of finally unleashed against against Japan, and then and then he had this this start because of Chris Ashton's injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed I can I kind of think, and we can we can talk about that with other sides later on. But the kind of it's such an endorsement of a setup and a and a culture and a and a tactical framework that a player can come in and and look themselves straight away, mm-hmm. and um, and. He he really he really did seem that he caught got caught narrow a bit a little bit in defence a couple of times um, for was it Daniel Petty scored yeah. and it was top in the first half yeah that was mm-hmm. that was there, there was a little bit of disconnection I think between him and maybe Teo they got slight trust issues there but that'll get better and it's really English and really kind of British to dwell on somebody's <laughs> what dwell on what somebody can't do so it's just really cool that people are, are looking at what he's bringing because and, and I think it's the tip of the iceberg as well because he's, oh, he's a great yeah. defender um so you know when they're bringing him off his wing he, he'll bring other guys into the game as well like he has done for London Irish so yeah I mean really exciting um really exciting all told cool and the, the last thing we'll uh, I don't like talking about England too much on this show so um, the last course, thing yeah. <laughs> the last thing we'll uh, touch on is um, the importance of Ben Youngs you did uh, you did some really good analysis on um, his his box kicking where he does it how much he does it why he does it um, that's obviously a, 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 a massive part of, of the game plan can you talk a little bit about what you did there yeah absolutely so um, it was actually it was kind of um, I'm re- really lucky in, in the job that I do. I get I get I get given a lot of freedom to pitch stuff, mm-hmm. um, but then a, at the same time, sometimes editors will say, "Why is somebody doing that?" And so that was that was just a case of one of the editors on the desk saying, "England are kicking away loads of ball," or in "England, what what is the point of box kicking it?" I mean, sometimes it looks, and sometimes it does look really pointless. I'm I'm a former former scum half myself. When there's nothing worse when you you kind of slice underneath one, goes straight up in the air, or it yeah, blows out, and goes it, back. You kick it is just it is just it's the most but I've, I've done it before where i've sliced one up in the air and we've managed to regather it and then kicked out on the full after we've regathered it. it's just the most embarrassing thing in the world but anyway so <laughs> back to ben Young's, he does that very rarely um but it was it was just really cool to, to have have the opportunity to ask him why he was doing it and where and where it fitted in england's game plan and you sort of found him a little bit sheepish because england had done so much of it um and they had done so much of it over, but it was something that I hadn't even thought of. It was just the fact that, so first of all, obviously the game against New Zealand conditions dictated that, and they would have wanted to target Damian McKenzie for sure. Mm. Um, but in the week before, the conditions were actually quite nice against against South Africa, and I thought it could have been because the games against the first, certainly the first test between the sides in June had been a massive try fest where it was two kind of flawed defences and two sides who were willing to give it a crack out wide and were high energy in attack. Um, I, th- I thought we could see something like that because the conditions at Twickenham were, were fairly nice. But uh, Ben Young's kind of explained that, well, they'd only been together for three weeks as a side. There are a lot of new guys and um, they felt that they felt, even though they had a new defence coach in John Mitchell, they felt that they were really comfortable in that area of their game. And I think, um, although it, I mean, could it could very easily have come undone for them. They were under under the pump in that first half. They just felt that 
that was kind of the best like mounting a good chase um sort of trying to trying to pin a side back but which it was really interesting looking through each one and we get we get really good help from opta um so we're able to map each one and seeing how kind of successful they were at getting the ball back and um sort of comparing how i mean i think i think they recovered something like in the first three games we didn't do it for the last game actually the last game they seemed to just either get the ball off the pit they seem to get the ball off the pitch because you know retrieving it against guys like Falao and Dan Patsy is a, a tough, a tough kind of a tough ask. So they, just, they seem to be just um, kind of focusing on just getting it off the pitch and not and not giving them counter-attacking opportunities. But they were they were doing pretty, they were doing okay. I think kind of ratio of a third of t- recovering the ball completely mm. was actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a great weapon, and you see it with uh, with Connor Murray in Ireland and and. Mm. Uh, uh, Aaron Smith and New Zealand like to have a, a world class box kicker. It just adds that other tactical, you know, element that you can modify depending on conditions and opposition. So yeah, that's great. And I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, if I haven't retweeted it, I'll retweet it uh, so so coaches can have a look at that. And speaking of Connor Murray, um, moving on to Ireland, um, my second favorite team. I, yeah. I, I love watching them play. I love watching them develop over uh joe schmidt's uh reign i think it, it's been really fascinating i everyone talked about their defense uh in the new zealand win and how important it was what have you noticed uh there with regards to their defensive systems under andy farrell just that and, and people and, and the players have come out sort of subsequently and and really we sort of knew all along how charismatic and how much of a good motivator andy farrell was his it's, it's funny sort of everybody that try everybody that explains his defensive system says it isn't rocket science and i guess it isn't you know they they, they have they seem to like it's slightly different to how he defended with england i think in that he asked his wings to be up flat he asked his nine to be in in the line and i think i, I don't know whether there's chicken and egg isn't it whether that was because conor murray was such a good defender but that they did that or they i don't know how which way it came around how he tailored it but um seriously effective and I think probably when people say it's not rocket science what they don't really kind of give credit to is that both he and Schmidt have given really intelligent players license to make decisions within that mm-hmm. so there was um uh, Gary Ringrose is uh, Gary Ringrose is one of my fa- favorite players playing playing at the minute just to watch because he just makes he just seems to he's just every every performance seems to be so low error and so there's so many really intelligent flashes in each one of them and um We'll talk about the All Blacks later, but sort of in when they were they sort of they shut they shut New Zealand down off nine. They shut them down when they played off ten, and then when they tried to get both Bowden Barrett and Damian McKenzie sort of into the game in that kind of twin playmaker stuff and open up the wider channels, mm. players like Ringrose were able to kind of rush up and sh- and shut that off as well. Mm. So although kind of it, it's what what Andy Farrell does really you know fire and brimstone, and he, he's a brilliant kind of. Uh, motivator obviously i think the kind of having that side of him where players feel confident enough to make decisions within within the framework that he's imparted is is where you know champion teams are made right that's where that's where kind of the problem solving aspect of it is what's kept new zealand ahead of the rest i think for for so long and i think ireland have got just really cerebral players and and guys able to kind of back their own decisions. I mean, you, you only have to look at Jacob Stockdale's try, sort of having the having the balls to to chip again. Because because yeah. yeah, I tweeted about that. It was just like 
you almost gave up a try two minutes ago and you do the yeah. exact same thing and score a try. It was just it's sensational. Incredible. And 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 New Zealand actually read that that move pretty well, I thought. Ben Smith's again, like he's he's exactly the sort of example of player that I'm talking about. Just yeah. just sees things in slow motion. He it's he was rushing up to kind of help out the the kind of defence that had been on that bounce back play, yet Jacob Scott Stockdale knew that the, the space was the space had to be in behind because he'd done that. Mm. And that's fantastic. And that's and that's going off script sort of within this really meticulous um these really meticulous plans that they've got, being able to then go off script um according to what's in front of you is is fantastic. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I think one of the things too is that the, the depth of the Irish team is is amazing right now. Really, really healthy, healthier than it's ever been, I would say. I still have the uh, the strong idea that they they need Johnny Sexton to be fit the whole way through that World Cup uh, to be successful, because um, you you just have to watch him. And I did in in the second time I watched that game, I just I just focused on Johnny in in attack and what he does and how important he is and his his role in attack is, is great. What what are you seeing there with with regards to Johnny Sexton? Yeah, just just a, a amazing. I think was it. Um... A few years ago in the NFL, Peyton Manning, they were saying, "Oh, you've got a, you, you must have a radio in your helmet to your head coach because you're just making these decisions all the time." It just Sexton seems to be on that sort of level of, of sort of being able to see things almost from kind of a, an overhead view of the pitch, just mm-hmm. picking picking holes, picking space, and the the the, the whole Six Nations really was just a, a big one, big long. Um, example of that and the game against England he just picked he picked apart England that the hard ball for the first try and then even what you know that when even when they're when Ireland are running these strike plays even when he's not involved he's be or he's got a really simple role you know that defenses are so in tuned as to what he's doing mm-hmm. it's been a real it's been it's been a real kind of um treat watching him with Leinster Leinster over the last couple of years as well because they have a little bit um and understandably so and they've got a little bit more freedom they seem to have than than Ireland do kind of in test matches and that is when he's really he's really cutting loose and just um yeah just just little things like know, knowing when to up the pace of games knowing when to slow them down he's, he's really kind of just bent games to his will almost and that's yeah. that's just been that's been it's been so cool to watch yeah yeah I, I enjoyed just watching him he just either he sits in the pocket behind the the forwards. Uh, he'll he'll read the play or either call for that dump ball, uh, or he'll send the forwards up. And then if they go up, he then flattens right up and uh, takes that ball and usually looks for that really long flat miss pass or it's a, yeah. a, a hard unders line coming back in from from one of his outside guys. It it just works seamlessly if you watch it for several phases. Yeah, the, I think um, Mark of any players sort of qualities have a have a influence like those around them in, in any level and you can see it just it makes those those around him look good the young the young fly halves coming through at Leinster have clearly learned a lot from him mm-hmm. um but also I'd, I'd say the kind of it, it is it's so um noticeable how much um Farrell's come on as an attacking force after the last two Lions tours he's had with him both in 2000 and from after 2013, night and day, um, really kind of enhanced his running game and his ability to take the ball flat. And then in 2017, I think he came on again. Right. Um, and I th- and I would certainly, you know, and a lot of credit has to go to, to Owen himself, but I th- I'd say that being around um, Sexton has, has 
taken into another level for sure. That's cool. Yeah. I wonder if they discussed um, wrapping the arms in tackles on that. Tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, funny you say, because we, we, did, we did something on that in the paper when Kino got, uh, when Jerome yeah, Kino got, yeah. and we, and sorry, it was when Danny Cipriani got sent off. Okay, he said yeah, that yeah, these, ago, yeah. these, these sort of soak, these soak tackles are going to put, are going to, and we I picked out, and um, and picked out, and picked out Sexton as, as guys that stand really, stand really upright just because they, they know they're not going to make a dominant hit, but they're trying to kind of just soak a collision and get back in the, get in the, in the defensive line, because that's sort of the kind of what they, what their ceiling is in, in that, in that kind of moment of play. But I think, though, yeah, those two were certainly, um, Farrell, <laughs> being a bit more proactive than that. And he was yeah, very, very fortunate. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and the, the team that wasn't fortunate on the back of that decision, uh, the Wallabies. What, what was your observations of the Wallabies over over this period of play? Um, it's difficult. I think... Um, it must be so frustrating for guys watching them who want them to do well because yeah. in, in, Tokyo, I thought, in Tokyo, I thought they... I thought they were a couple of offloads away from go, from taking New Zealand into championship rounds and being within a score. They were they put a lot of good stuff together in that game, and it was you know there's such a fine balance. There must be such a fine balance for Checker because when they're pushing those passes, they're sometimes getting weak shoulders and, and making these line breaks. They made they made a ton of line breaks in that game. I, I can't remember how many it was, but but then there was also interspersed with that so that the last the last offload would go down, and then there was that. Tolly Latu penalty wasn't there at the scrum, yeah, yellow, yellow, yeah, yellow. But so that they're making, but then if they're pushing them, they're, they're losing that field position and everything. But then interspersed with that are these um, kind of really clunky first phase moves that just mm-hmm. was it was a one where they went went one side and then cross kick back to Falau, and even if Falau's regaining it, it's a gain of ten meters, and it just it's so it feels so low percentage. And for, for, for a team that have got players like Bernard Foley and, uh, and playmakers who are that sharp, it just seems really strange. I, I've, having, having seen them, I was, I was so impressed by them in, in 2015 at the yeah. World Cup. I loved watching, loved watching them in that tournament. And they made, they made England look so, so ordinary in that, in that uh, penultimate group game. They they were just playing. They were playing a different game. They were they were just they were a couple ahead, and a lot of I guess a lot of that was kind of two phase strike moves. But they were also just they were also just their defense was fantastic. Scott Fardy was probably a big part of that, so I think I probably missed him a lot. Oh, absolutely. Um, but but it's um, yeah, it, it, they they seem so so close yet so far away, and and it was it just odd, just odd. They they'd. And it was the same. It was the same at the weekend, wasn't it? They they were all over England for spells, picking as we as we as we've talked about before, picking apart their wide defence and um, really causing them problems out there. Yet just kind of fizzling out and sort of not keeping the ball in hand because they, there was a lot of aimless kicking, wasn't there? I think yeah. Checker brought that up afterwards. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Really strange. Really kind of really. It's it's tough to know where they go, but but also there are small crumbs of encouragement there as well so it's just it just seems a really weird place for them to be to be yeah, honest uh, for sure I think if you look at the playing roster like they've, they've got some good quality players there they've got yeah. they're missing you know one or two world-class players but there's also you know three or four world-class players in that group so I, 
I think I, I think it's they're not far off. It looks doomsdayish if you read <laughs> anything from, uh, posted on forums about the Wallabies. It's it's uh, it's all over. But I don't think they're far off. I, I just think they're uh, they're caught between two styles of play. One one being that you know that uh, expressing yourself, offloading, free kind of style of play to one that's super super structured and and quite predictable at times. And I, I still don't think they've got their identity sorted out in in attack, and I think that is creating a lot of issues in, in terms of you know what to do when when Plan A doesn't actually work. I, I just I mean go you need to go back to June. They 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 turned over Ireland, and that that Test series, mm-hmm. I was I kind of that, I, I love the June tours because yeah. it's, you get a really good you get sort of I think you get more of a probably a cross section of where teams are, although obviously because they're not playing. It, they're not playing different sides every week. You don't really know how they adapt to different styles, but you tend to get your, the gun sides out for three weeks in a row or close as kind of with a little bit of rotation. Um, and that, that, so that Ireland Australia tour felt like three world cup semifinals oh, they great? and England and England, but England's tour against South Africa felt like three world cup group games or world cup quarterfinals. <laughs> the, the, the quality, the quality wasn't, wasn't as high as mm. as Ireland's against Australia. So, um, but then there was there were a couple of kind of well, they, well that first, that it's like that try that try on on at the start of at the end of the first half in Bledisloe one just sort of took took the kind of the wind out of Australia for the rest of the year almost. Mm. It was it was kind of um, yeah it was it was it was pretty pretty gloomy after that. Yeah yeah oh well. Uh... You know, this is the stuff that keeps me up at night. So uh, I'm hoping, uh, hoping we get a, a turnaround soon. And uh, I think it was uh, a, a tough, a very tough tour for the Wallabies. And I think, uh, you know, with with the CEO saying that the expectation was three from three, um, there's there's got to be some kind of bounce back at, at the end of that. What that'll look like, who knows? But uh, I think there there needs to be changes moving forward because the, the potential is absolutely there. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, uh, on to on to New Zealand. Um, just um, you know, I think every every rugby fan outside of uh, an All Blacks fan was uh, was willing home Ireland in that in that win. Uh, what what what? And I, personally, I think it's great for rugby that 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 win happened. Um, what what do you think that loss showed in terms of uh, New New Zealand and their their you know their their amazing record so far? Yeah, they, they 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 have been they have been amazing. Certainly, I think they've it's really interesting. They've lost they've lost four, I think, over the last eighteen months, which is many as they had over sort of the previous between then and the two thousand eleven World Cup. So mm-hmm. it's 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 it looks like a little period of of transition. And Steve Hansen's mentioned being between two styles. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what what that means quite, but <laughs> that was I, interesting. I was, <laughs> yeah, Ireland. Ireland showed that they could. Ireland just Ireland physically were fantastic. Yeah. They were they they bullied they bullied New Zealand's pack and kind of slightly more worrying than that for New Zealand was I thought that their kind of lieutenants behind, under Kieran Reid went missing a bit. That's the worst. It's a, not necessarily the worst, but the kind of the most muddled performance I've seen from someone like Sam Whitelock. He, I mean, he doesn't give away penalties like that. They're really sort of getting pinged for really kind of elementary things mm. and um yeah Bro- Broder Italic didn't perform which is cra- you know never, never happens um so I think they missed they missed someone like Sam Kane 
Yeah. Despite despite Ardis of Hair playing playing really well both at Twickenham and, and there, I think maybe just that that steadying hand to take a little bit of pressure off Kieran Reid, the leader. They've obviously got someone like Dane Coles coming back. Um, but you know, having said having said all of that, they win the game if if Bowden Barrett's grubber that Peter Armani over over kind of uh, got back to to gather. If that's a little bit longer, if Bowden Barrett's offload isn't intercepted by Rob Carney, if Omani's pinged for not supporting his body weight in the in the penalty in the lead up to Stockdale's try. They they get over they probably get over the line and then it's a different it's a different narrative. And I yeah. just wonder yeah. whether almost that loss gives them a little bit of a little bit of a wake up call. I've I'm I've been slightly puzzled as to why they haven't started Richie Moanga a little bit more. And they, it's and I just wonder whether their World Cup backline isn't Bowden, World Cup final backline isn't Bowden Barrett at 15 with Ben Smith on the right wing and, and Richie Moonga at, at, at 10 and Rico Ioane out on the left wing. I don't know whether they that gets considered. It, it probably doesn't because they they they're fairly they're fairly well set. But it's it's um it's it's certainly an interesting period. I think any team in the world, um, you know, obviously including the All Blacks, would. Um, be in a bit of a transition period after someone like Wayne Smith goes, so that's that's a settling down um, process for them. So um, yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. I think I think from a from a coaching point of view, when you do have a, a run of success and you do get that loss, if that loss is at the right time and it's at the right time for for New Zealand, it can be really really powerful. So um, and you know, being, being a long long suffering Wallabies fan. Um, who knows uh, how New Zealand plays after a loss? Uh, they they don't usually lose two in a row, and that game after that loss is it's fire and brimstone kind of stuff. So um, yeah. it'll it'll be interesting where they go. But I there's you know for me they're still favourites to win that Rugby World Cup with uh, Ireland being a close second. Yeah, me too. I th- well, I think that isn't it just a it's just a truncated. Rugby Championship, and then they're pretty much mm-hmm. into the into the World Cup from yeah, here. So, yeah. it's, what what that what that game has done in Dublin is put even more on the New Zealand South Africa group game mm-hmm. because obviously both of them Absolutely. will be wanting to avoid Ireland in their quarter final. So, um, yeah, that's that's just a, that's a monumental game now, and New Z- and South Africa having beaten them um, earlier in the year won't be won't be intimidated. They'll know yeah. that they they've got what it takes to to take them take them close so yeah yeah no, it'll, be, it'll be fascinating all right and um you know on, on some of the other other teams that uh were, were showing their their skills uh over this period of time um you you mentioned wales earlier on um what what was your takeaway from them scotland and france and france uh losing to fiji it's uh uh, that's that was another one that the whole whole rugby universe uh, celebrates. Uh, uh, Fiji getting the win in Europe at the home. I think that's fantastic too. So, what, what was your takeaway for those three three nations? Uh, if you start with Wales, like yeah. I say, that with the kind of the big the big movers, and I really think you know Warren Gatlin signing off um, after after Japan with Wayne Pivat taking his, which is a really really oh, I good. Think that's huge. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fantastic. Having interviewed Wayne fairly recently, just about his time at the Scarlets, he was just so impressive about um, about what he he looks for in in terms of people in as far as people playing as well as as well as players' skill sets. 
he's just he's big on the sort of the, the type of person that he wants involved in in squads and that's going to be fantastic for Wales going forward um I think Warren Gatlin has played an absolute blinder this World Cup cycle. I think he was always going to. He loves he loves tournament rugby. He loves rallying. He loves rallying teams against against the odds. And um, that they had a they were talking about kind of three test June tours a lot here, which which are great. But Wales went to New Zealand in 2016 and um, sort of stayed in games, kind of almost comically stayed in games for 60 minutes mm. and then just blown away three times. But they really took lessons from that and they've now got um fantastic depth in the forwards they've also upskilled their forwards a great deal um they're all capable of handling and offloading which is which is great and they've they've got backs coming george north looks kind of um oh he's back totally right? revitalized oh, goodness, yeah and again. yeah john davis another another world-class oh, players fit again yeah. and they've got options at 10 they really they're and when they get to that tournament, Warren Gatlin will just get them into a place mentally where they are stubborn and uh, tenacious and just horrible to play against. And that's and that's fantastic. They did they did what they did this autumn without Talupe Falatao, who's one of the best players in the world. So they're in fantastic shape. If we move on to Scotland, they're pro- they're probably missing missing someone like John Barkley this this autumn. Yeah, and just kind of just tread water a little bit this autumn. Although they've They'll be they're in a good place. They were they'd be absolutely pig sick not to get over the line against against South Africa because they did enough um, to do that. They tried out uh, Finn Russell and Adam Hastings at ten and twelve against against Argentina, and that's almost one of those selection calls where I mean it was a, it was a wet horrible day, so it wasn't really conducive to spreading the ball so much. But they probably know now that they wouldn't want to risk that combination in the World Cup game. They might give it another go. So. Um, they might give it another another try before the World Cup, but that's kind of, and I guess as a, as a coach, knowing a combination is not quite going to work is almost is at least you've got at least you know at least you've got kind of a an opinion on it either way backed up by performance, so they can move on and and look at kind of other midfield options now. Um, and France, I, yeah, I mean that that Fiji that Fiji performance was was special. I think. They've always had they've they've had these players who have just got incredible firepower. But I saw a stat today uh, from Tier Two Rugby on Twitter. I think that they that Fiji have won forty eight consecutive scrums on their own putting or something like that. So that's that's just a huge endorsement for their coaching team because not only that you know they can we know that they can score tries from everywhere. We know that they can throw these crazy offloads that unlock defenses, and they know they're kind of deadly and. Um, unstructured play but if they've got a solid set piece and they're defensively pretty steely then they're going to be a, just a huge banana skin at the World Cup oh, I totally agree and for me they're the, they're the most consistent and in, in World Cup without winning one they they, they make semi-finals finals uh, almost every Rugby World Cup and yeah. I don't think their form line matches what they'll do in, in the World Cup, like you remember in the 2011 World Cup when they were, they were an absolute gong show uh, under Livermore, but they made the final and they were they were unreal. They they, they turned it around halfway through the tournament, and no, I think I think they're always the, the dark horse to, to really upset some people in the in the Rugby World Cup. Well, they've kind of um, Francis is they've got they've absolutely got, yeah they've got um 
they've got this they've got obviously the next one after japan at home and i know that they are absolutely desperate to to do really well at that one and they have already earmarked a kind of group of a core group of players young players now that they want to be peaking at, at that tournament so mm-hmm. uh, that just gives them as if they needed any more license to just to, to play with a, a real sense of freedom out, mm. out there and they've got and they have got some they won the one that won the junior world cup obviously this time around they are they've got some seriously exciting youngsters and on antoine antoine dupont the uh scrum half is absolutely lightning just a really explosive presence there um and that they could really shake up that um pool a i think it is with england and with england and argentina yeah, yeah, if they can yeah, beat one yeah. of those one or both of those sides, nobody will want to draw them. Yeah, and I think I think Teddy Tomar, I think he'll be on the international map if he's not already um, come World Cup time. Uh, he, he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I touched on it there that uh, you know Six Nations next year is going to be uh, a real cracker. Probably going to be one of the closest going around. Uh, what, what do you What do you think? How's that going to look? And and how how's the World Cup going to influence? Things like selections and tactics uh, of of this upcoming Six Nations. I think I think it will be as if if this autumn was having a look at kind of contingencies and dealing with um, the injury lists that they've got. I think they'll they'll really want to finalise the, the the respective coaches will really want to finalise sort of best best fifteens. Mm-hmm. I think some special players will be given. So, for instance, uh, Conor Murray would be given right up until the last the last second to board the plane for Japan. And then he'd slot in because he's because he's world class. I think with England, it's someone like Tui Laggy. They'd really wait and want him to play in a few warm up games. Um, but that that would all he would that would be all he would need to do to still be in the World Cup reckoning. But apart from that, they'll really want to kind of nail down 15s. And the only kind of the only semi solid prediction I could kind of make is that they w- I don't think there'll be a Grand Slam um, just because right. England had to, England had to go to Ireland and Wales. Um, and Wales, the last the last weekend, Wales host Ireland, and I just think that that I I absolutely love that rivalry. My dad, my dad kind of um, my dad grew up in Cardiff, and his his kind of rugby background was going to the Arms Park and watching this that famous famous Welsh team. So that was what I grew up on, basically his his stories of that. And I just I just. I, that rivalry between at the minute those players that have all come out and they've been on a lot of I mean there can't be that much bad blood because they've been on the two kind of special generations of players and they've been on um, they've been on a lot of line, well, a couple of Lions tours together now but it's really tetchy when they play each other and it's, it's, it's so cool to watch it's great I love, I love those sorts of games so, but they Wales just Wales just and there's something about obviously Gatlin's an ex-Island coach as well but there's that real sense that Wales aren't scared of Ireland, no matter what they've, no matter what Ireland have done. And whereas Ireland have the wood over England, I think having won the last two, um, Wales beat them last time in, in Cardiff quite quite handsomely, and then and then came back and really scared them in Dublin um, this this the year just gone as well. So that's that's the last weekend, and I think that'll be I think that'll be for the championship, um, barring barring an England resurgence. Um, so yeah, I think it will, it will be on that. And then, as far as um, you know, coaches don't really like to talk about them at the minute. But as far as psychological markers, it's, it's going to be important because the the warm up games after that are just kind of are just are just the last kind of the last little bits, aren't they? Um, yeah. So yeah, 
really, really, really interesting. So do you think uh, in that Six Nations time, that's where you're going to see like some, uh, not not everything on the table, but some really clear indications of how teams are going to choose to attack and defend? Yeah, I think so. I think I think uh, defence, as, you, as you'd probably expect, um, defensively, teams are settled into their systems a lot more um, than, than maybe maybe attacking me and, that, and that's probably more because they, they you'd want to have things up your sleeves in, a, in, a, in an attacking sense um, but you know Wales Wales defensive system is absolutely rock solid um, with Sean Edwards likewise likewise um, Ireland with Andy Farrell and England I thought it was a really impressive first tournament for John Mitchell's England defence they tweaked a few things and um, yeah and, and I, I was impressed by it uh, so yeah, those they seem pretty. They seem pretty settled in that sense. Scotland all, all think that they can, they can upset. They they're kind of uh, you know it sounds a bit odd calling it a smash and grab um, at Murrayfield because they're at home and they would have you know wanted they would have known kind of they would have been fired up and, and known they could do well. But the job they did on England last time was brilliant. You know they were, they were just a lot really really streetwise at the breakdown and really really clinical in, in the, with the ball that they got. Um, in attack, so um, yeah, that they'll they'll be confident of of winning winning of knocking over a, a, one of those three too. For sure, for sure. Okay, and um, rugby world cup is still still a while away. I'll give you I'll give you one team that you think is going to win it, and two two maybe's and a dark horse. Oh, uh, uh, New, New, New Zealand the first one. Um, I just think I just think the know how and the and the experience and the fact that they the fact that they've got players going there set on winning a third third straight one is crazy. So yeah, uh, yeah uh, New Zealand New Zealand top. How about Ireland and uh, Ireland and Wales as maybe's. Okay. And then um, I, think, I think South Africa does, South Africa deserve a mention yeah. because with with Fafta Clerk, if Fafta Clerk plays every game. Uh, he he just elevates them in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and uh, they would have, you know, they they really missed those two guys at, at Twickenham, and if they win at Twickenham, that's their that's their year totally turned around. So um, I don't don't know whether they're probably they're probably a, um, probably somewhere between a maybe and a dark horse. I don't think they're particularly dark as a dark yeah. horse. Maybe yeah. maybe Wales the dark horses and South Africa are the maybes with okay. Ireland. All right, cool. Well, that's exciting, and uh, already already blocking out the calendar. For family time, so I can watch uh, yeah. almost every single game. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long negotiation. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, last thing we'll do before wrapping up. Um, uh, every week on the Telegraph website, there's a you you do an inside line article. Uh, can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that and uh, where coaches could kind of find that information? Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of really wary of calling them analysis articles just because I'm totally aware, like having having listened to your your pods and, and kind of speaking to guys who do it for a living, just how hard those guys work. But it's just it's just a kind of a look at something that's um, tactically, I guess, caught the eye over the weekend and just trying to kind of put it out there. They started out, to be honest, to be totally honest, they started off as a bit of a uh, an ass covering exercise just because I prefer to, to pick something out and write about it as opposed to, uh, you know, farting out on an opinion piece that that kind of was was a bit flaky. So, uh, but that's that's what it's evolved into inside line now, and it's just screen grabs, a bit of writing, uh, picking out picking out plays or or trends from 
from a weekend or from a game. Yeah, and you 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 tweet most of that out. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so like I said, I'll put your Twitter handle in the uh, in the show notes so the listeners can follow you. All right. Well, we always end the the, the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up in England, uh, who who was one of your favourite players going around that got you into the game? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, kind of Welsh scrum halves were big. So would have been Dwayne. It would have been Rob Howley. Yeah. And and Dwayne Peel. Rob Howley because two thousand and one. Lions, the, the, the last two yeah. tests were between yeah. either, either side of my 12th birthday, I think. So that was <laughs> that was huge. Like, they, those were, yeah, I've got burned onto my brain, the ball going out in the, at the end of the final test and George Gregan doing that gun salute thing. Oh, is that yeah, that's, 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 uh, that game? That's fantastic. Really? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, just, just. That, that Justin, uh, the, the Harrison uh, line-out steal in the third yeah, game, yeah. that's that's. One of my top three sporting highlights. It was, yeah, it was huge. It was uh, amazing. That's a gut wrencher. But that's that's what I think the Lions Lions tours are so cool. Yeah. Right? Like he against them for Oz Aussie A, hadn't he? And then he got that test shot and yeah, although it was Lions heartbreak, it's just the kind of the narrative of the whole uh tour was, it's just it's always yeah. just so cool. Yeah. yeah, and then the other one the other one, Carlos Spencer. Oh, um yeah. yeah, it's a big big kind of landmark getting Sky T V in our house so we could watch uh Super Rugby before going out to play, and just awesome. and just yeah, just just Carlos Spencer just looking like he was having fun all the time, and yeah, yeah. and goose stepping on the halfway line when he got an intercept, even despite having to go fifty meters, and just little things like that, banana kicks, <laughs> just so cool, just yeah. love watching. Totally. All right. And what what about now? Who you're you watching a lot of rugby players, no doubt. Um, who who are some of the ones that pop out for you? Uh, guys like uh, Ben Smith, Brody Retallick, uh Gary Ringrose mentioned earlier. Earlier, um, David Pocock's been a, a joy to watch. Just Unreal, from as far as, as far as just a guy who's who's thinking so much and and ahead of the game. And the, I mean, we'll come to them come to them later. But that uh, John Fletcher, Russell, and Sean Pete Walton, those those coaches who were with the RFU mm. and. Their sort of beat the game philosophy. Yeah. I just feel like watching him, watching someone like that, he's trying to do that every second of every game he's playing in, <laughs> and that's and that's that's awesome to watch. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I agree. He's, he's definitely my number one. So uh, yeah, excellent choice. All right, and what about coaches? Uh, I, you mentioned a couple there, high profile coaches that you respect and like what they're doing. Yeah, we, um, kind of as far as the English domestic scene, two teams that are seem. Um, Kind of tangibly ahead of the rest, the, the Saracens and, and Exeter, and they've got two really solid kind of coaching teams in place. Mm-hmm. I'll just pick, kind of pick out. Um, so uh, obviously Mark McCall and, and Alex and Alex Sanderson, Joe Shaw, Dan Vickers at, at Saracens doing so much good stuff um, at Exeter. Whenever you listen to Rob Baxter talk, you totally get why people want him to be the next England boss. He just mm-hmm. just drops sense bombs the whole time, and he's just so eloquent, so eloquent with. Um, what he's saying um yeah uh, pat lamb's doing some really cool stuff at, at yeah. bristol and that's obvious, obvious off the bat and he's had the had a season in the second tier um to kind of hone it all but it's just really cool to watch it all come together um and then yeah mentioned them briefly just then i think really difficult to overstate what uh john fletcher uh russell and shaw and pete walton are kind of doing for um the network of coaches on a, on a junior level in england i think just giving them um, I kind of focus with their Magic Academy sort of um, network, giving 
giving guys something to hold on to, something to hold on to there, a network to kind of share knowledge. It's just, it just seems to be, I guess it's in its early stages, or, but it seems to be seriously important kind of looking ahead for the, for the game. Win. Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, definitely um, trying to get Rusty on again for, for another chat. Um, I met up with him when I was over in Bristol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a good bloke. And uh, yeah, you can, you can get a lot out of uh, any conversation you have with yeah. Rusty. Sometimes it, it won't be about rugby, but you'll still learn something. Uh, yeah, yeah no, so, no, it's great. All right, and then last question: um, someone, someone grassroots uh, who doesn't have those those kind of profiles that you think deserves recognition. Yeah, uh, I do a couple from from Wimbledon. A guy called uh, Neil Hallett that used to play used to play with, and now he's kind of um, coaching the first team there. Right, and and, and then also uh, kind of less coaching, more uh, team team management side. A guy called James Ogilvy Ball, who's bully, who's um, just one of the, just one of those guys who absolutely pours pours his heart and soul into into grassroots rugby. So we were, we was we, I was, I think I, when I was there we were level five, and then we went up to level four. We're back at level five now, but the game at that level just doesn't operate without without people like bullies. Just just brilliant self selfless guy, um, absolutely absolutely loves it. And then yeah, so so yeah, have have those two. There's there's so much fantastic work going on at a kind of academy academy level um in england with the and a lot of those guys are part of the magic academy sharing sharing knowledge so they broaden their horizons and and um yeah keep developing themselves so yeah, exciting times ahead okay and although it's not grassroots rugby uh in terms of coaching what what about journalists out there um uh, who, who you feel are doing really good work in um you know putting the game uh, out there for for fans and coaches yeah, I think um, I think you've had him on. You've had him on a previous podcast, actually. Murray Murray Kinsella's absolutely yeah. killing it. He was yeah, um, yeah, really kind of instrumental in in getting me started and bouncing ideas off when when I first first started off on this. Robbie is Robbie Owen, I think his think his name is Squidge Rugby on Twitter, and he's okay, cool. Squidge okay. Rugby on on YouTube. Just so worth a worth a look. He's doing some brilliant stuff with kind of t- tongue in cheek, but also kind of seriously insightful, seriously good. Um, good video analysis as well so yeah those two guys doing brilliant stuff cool awesome all right charlie well it's it's been great great having you on the on the show uh i, I love talking about you know these kind of tours and end of year wrap-ups and you know i find it's you know where you where you can really start prepping for your next season and start taking on a lot of information from from what's going on around the world so you, you've provided an awesome insight and uh just want to just want to thank you very much for giving up your time and uh look forward to seeing your analysis on twitter moving forward no worries it's all been a big been a big fan of um the podcast so just really cool to be part of one thanks a lot awesome i appreciate that thanks charlie no worries. cheers mate for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.